Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. So grateful, wherever you are, however you're listening to this show, that you are joining us on this uh, flagship show of the GVB Podcast Network. I'm joined at this time by my co-host, my associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com, Mr. Parker Fleming. Parker, it was a bit of a newsworthy week. Uh, over at grizzlybearblues.com. I'm sure we'll talk more about that here momentarily, but how are you doing, sir? I don't know how I'm supposed to feel right now. Um, <laughs> you know, there's there's playoff basketball on the horizon, and I'm about to experience my first uh, playoff game as a media member after years of going to it growing up. It's going to be very surreal. But also remember that you're not supposed to cheer. You're not supposed to cheer. I know, I know. I'm not going to be cheering. I'm don't embarrass be all- us, Parker Fleming. No, I'm gonna be all business, dude. Okay. I'm gonna be on the Twitter, on the quick recap. I, I'm yes. gonna be only locked in, laser focused, ready to go. But also at Good. the same time, you know, like, you know, you, my friend, my mentor, you're leaving the blog, and so it's just like bittersweet. You <sighs> yeah. know, there, there's some yeah. good stuff, and then there's also that. So I'm just kind of neutral right now, to be honest. Fair enough. Lots of circle of life vibes over at GrizzlyBearBlues.com mm. right now. Uh, but it's awesome to be here with Parker again. As Parker alluded to, I announced this week that I'll be stepping down as site manager of grizzlybearblues.com. Whenever the Grizzlies are out of the playoffs, I'm out at GBB. And I want to say thank you to Seth Pollock, my boss at SB Nation, for allowing me to go out this way. This is not how it normally happens for site managers at SB Nation. So that's a really cool uh, uh, sign of respect that he gave me. And I, that means a lot to me. So thank you to Seth. Uh, ways to get in touch with the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. For some reason, my follower count went up when I announced I was leaving. That didn't really make any sense to me. Um, like, now you're following. Like, I'm going to be done in a month or two, and now you're leaving. But anyway, I digress. Uh, you can follow Parker Fleming at Paca underscore Flocka, my great associate editor there. And then you can follow the blog that I have been very fortunate to be a part of for almost a decade, which is crazy to say out loud. Uh, the blog that I've written for for nine years, that I've been site manager of for five years, that I've given way too much of myself to, uh, grizzlybearblues.com, at SBN Grizzlies. Our guest for this first part of the show, uh, I figured after the craziness of this past week, uh, it made sense to have my other associate editor, Mr. Brandon Abraham, at BC Abraham on Twitter, on with us as well. Um, Brandon, how are you feeling 
entering a pretty crazy game one for the first time in several years. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies hosting a game one in Memphis. It should be an awesome atmosphere on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be crazy. You know, it, it's going to be this era's first kind of real playoff run. And not to take away from last season, but with the limited capacity, you know, kind of, you know, with the pandemic going on, it, you know, it felt it was a playoff like atmosphere, but it wasn't, you know, what it was like with grit and grind and, you know, kind of getting that big 2.30 slot on Saturday. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what time Silkies and Tin Roofs are opening up, but it's not early enough. The FedEx form is going to be rocking Saturday, and I cannot wait. I always loved, you know, and this will kind of be a reflective part of the podcast. I always loved uh, when I lived in Memphis, like you just said, Brandon, going downtown, going to the bars. Uh, there was an old Cajun joint that me and my buddy would go to. I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but we would sit there and we'd eat gumbo and drink beers and get ready for the game. And, you know, it was a lot of good times back when I was there in Memphis. So I'm very jealous of everybody that's going to get the opportunity to experience that. But at the same time, I had my fun. I had my run. Very excited for Parker Fleming to be covering it for us. I was able to cover the 2014 playoff series against the Oklahoma City Thunder. There's really nothing like uh, playoff basketball in Memphis. Uh, Much credit and much love to the city for that. Um, so I guess the first thing we need to talk about is, uh, me stepping down at, at GBB. And again, we'll keep it brief. The playoffs are coming. Uh, I don't want it to be too long of a thing. Um, I wrote about it for the blog. Uh, the main reason why is I think it's time. Uh, it's not really a thing where I think that I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I, I'm stubborn and I, I truly believe that I could have done it as long as I wanted to. I thought I still, or I think I still can write at the level I want to write at, all that stuff. Um, I'm very competitive in that way and competitive with myself. Uh, The main reason I'm doing it is it's one of those, if you love something, set it free, as cheesy as that sounds. And as lame as it might be, I love Grizzly Bear Blues very much. It is a place that I have worked longer than I've worked anywhere else. And I think that I have taken it as far as I can as a blogger living in his mid thirties in Richmond, Virginia. I think that it's time for new blood. Somebody will come along as I talked about, it will be decided after the playoffs are over who my successor is. And, um, you know, it's time for someone else to take the blog to the next level. I'm proud of the work I've done and we've done as a team over at GBB, but it's time for someone else to take it to the next step. And I'm, I know that I can't do that anymore. I can't, I've taken it as far as I can where I am in my life. And that's the logic behind it. Um, I, I was pleasantly surprised by the positivity. I could have sworn that people were going to dance on my grave or, or post the meme of the guy in the suit at the funeral. Like they're all there at the, the, the haters, uh, the guy they hated's funeral to make sure he's dead. Um, I thought that was coming and maybe it still will. There's still time. Um, but it was an outpouring of support that I really appreciate. And Brandon, you and uh, Parker both said very kind things, which I appreciated. Um, it, it, it was very good to see. You know, I've written almost 1,300 articles for the blog in nine years, which is just stupid to say out loud. And I think that when you give so much of yourself to something, you, you 
wonder if people appreciate it. That's a human thing, and that's a vulnerable thing. And it was nice to know that it's been appreciated. So uh, thank you, Parker. Thank you, Brandon, uh, for the kind words that you gave. Um, Parker, you know, if there's anything you want to say, go ahead. But like I said, people are wanting to listen to this for a playoff preview. Um, but obviously it was a pretty major announcement at the blog this week. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. You know, like what I said, you're you're a mentor, but you're also a friend. And uh, obviously when uh, when I was – you know, getting into more of like Grizzlies Twitter and stuff, you know, you, you were someone I always followed. I, I still remember to this day, you're Chandler Parsons, um, always the bridesmaid, never the bride column. And then three days later, he becomes a Memphis Grizzly. That was some, that was some really cool stuff right there. But also, I'll too, always believe he read that and he read oh, it. Yeah, like, you know absolutely. what? That's right. Yeah, That's right. yeah, yeah. Thank you, Joe Mullinax. I will exactly. definitely take this $94 million contract now, only because your blog said I should. Exactly. And, you know, you you brought me in and you kind of reeled me in because, you know, I came from a place where I had to write 30 times a month pretty much just to get paid. And I came into GBB incredibly excited and um, to just get content out where I was – floating ideas out left and right probably annoying the hell out of everyone in the on staff but you helped reel me in and just uh really helped me you know expand um expand my game in this sense and also to just the access and the the green light i always say on twitter that you give brandon and i to be on the floor for you and really speak for you and uh, speak for gbb means a lot it's something I'm always going to remember. And it's like, what well, you, you always text me. It's not like you're going to die or anything. So like, you're always going to be there. Um, I, I'm sure you're, you'll always kind of have your hand in GBB in a sense, because you help take it to the next level. So yeah, that, that's about what I'll say here. I'll let Brandon um, get, get some here on um, before we get into some playoff talk. Yeah. And I echo a lot of what Parker said. Um, you know, I, I'm very appreciative. Um, you know, coming out of college, I think I applied for hundreds and hundreds of jobs, you know, in the sports media type world. And this is, I guess, a little bit of a sneak peek to my thank you on Twitter and whatnot. But I mean, Joe's the only one who like not even just gave me the time of day, but gave me a chance. Um, you know, I never really heard back from much of anything. And Joe gave me an opportunity and let me run with it. And, you know, like I say, every year after the hustle season concludes, you know, let me run away with just, you know, covering a G League team, not knowing really what I was getting myself into. Definitely got to thank him for reeling Parker in. I, I do remember when he first joined the staff, it was like every day there was, you know, four feature ideas at a time. It's like, <laughs> I, 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 I can't even yeah. think of anything to write because Parker has the very driven monopoly over all of the. Um, over all of the feature ideas. And um, it, it also kind of hit me too that I'm now going to be the old guy on the blog being the longest tenured one, which is weird. And lastly, I, I respect the hell out of like the reverse jinx to where your retirement is now going to lead to a very deep playoff run. Yeah. One mm -hmm. last time, one last time with the reverse <laughs> jinx. And, and like you both kind of alluded to, I'm not dying. I'm not going anywhere just yet. Um, hopefully the Grizzlies are around for a while in the playoffs and you guys can't get rid of me too soon. Um, I'm grateful for all that stuff. Thank you guys. And 
you know, there will be one last GBB live when the season's over and we'll do the official sign off kind of stuff. But obviously that was a major, uh, major thing that happened over at the blog this week. By the way, another major thing that happened over the blog at this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves defeated the Los Angeles Clippers in the play-in game, and the Minnesota fans, Parker and Brandon, we want Memphis. Be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. And I think that one of the things that really surprised me in the wake of that Parker Fleming was how many people were picking the Minnesota Timberwolves. We're going to have Kyle Tige of Canis Hoopus, their site manager, uh, for SB Nation's Minnesota Timberwolves blog on in the second segment. I'm going to do my best to not be disrespectful. To me, they're not on the same playing field in terms of what has been accomplished this season. I think that if you took the 2019-2020 or 2020-2021 Memphis Grizzlies and you put them against this Timberwolves team, you'd have a phenomenal series. Six games, seven game. 50-50 coin flip toss-up. But the Memphis Grizzlies have a top 10 MVP candidate after missing 25 games. The Memphis Grizzlies have a coach of the year candidate. The Memphis Grizzlies have a defensive player of the year candidate, a most improved player candidate. This is not hyperbole. They won 13 games by 25-plus points. That is almost an NBA record. What are we talking about, Parker Fleming? I felt like I was taking crazy pills. Like, if you take him, I'm sure we'll talk about this with Kyle, if you take the name Memphis Grizzlies off of the resume and you put the Golden State Warriors, it would have been a 16-win sweep into the playoffs. Or, God forbid, the Lakers somehow got to this point. I feel like the Grizzlies are being disrespected, Parker. Am I being irrationally angry in my old age? No, you're not. Because I had the same thoughts. Uh, Obviously, I I think... Everybody got, you know, they, they got a little drunk on the environment of the play-in. Which was awesome, and, in fairness. And, you know, like, they, they got some dogs on that team. Anthony Edwards, uh, Patrick Beverly, D'Angelo Russell, Carl uh, Anthony or Carl Anthony Towns, his um, mindset kind of tuned me out a little bit in the play-in, but he's still one heck of a ball player. He's probably the third, fourth best center in the league. Uh and I think people also did this too last year with the Grizzlies when, you know, they beat Golden State. They went two games in a play and they beat Golden State. They steal one game one against Utah and everyone's like, oh, could the Grizzlies beat Utah? It it happens. Um, and I think now the Grizzlies are getting theirs. But everyone, like, I, I think Memphis is kind of a trendy pick to get upset because they're so young and people want to ride that narrative of somehow they're better but without John Morant, which is just foolish. But also, too, just they're, they're young. But like you said, if you slap that resume on um, on the Golden State Warriors, we'd be getting uh, columns about Steph Curry's legacy and Draymond Green's legacy and how the Golden State Warriors are the biggest threat to the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference. And that the I think Vegas would also follow suit and make Golden State probably the best betting odd to win the whole thing. Um, but here we are. Uh, obviously, John Morant, as he said in the uh, in his practice availability today, there used to be an underdogs and they they were going up the chimney, not dunking any smoke. So I, I'm not worried, but I do find all of this. Uh, overreaction quite hilarious to be honest in a way it's kind of nice that it's happened because it gives a team that shouldn't be an underdog in any way shape or form an underdog vibe 
if that makes sense. Like, again, the Grizzlies are the two seed, not just in the West, but in the NBA period. If the Grizzlies were in the East, they would be the number one seed in the entire Eastern Conference. So I think that that's important to point out, that they are not just the two seed in the West. They had the second best regular season record of anybody in the National Basketball Association. Uh, Brandon, there is this fear of the Grizzlies failing. And I think that if you think and harken back to previous episodes of GVB Live, previous conversations that the three of us have had in text messages or on Slack, wherever we're interacting with one another, in fairness to the people doubting the Grizzlies, I have doubted the Grizzlies <laughs> throughout this season and said, there's no way they're this good. Let's, we just need to wait. And I was the guy that was Mr. Call Me at Christmas when the world was tumbling. And I wanted to see what the team was like. And it turned out that that was the proper way to view things. But then I went to the opposite side of the spectrum. And when the Grizzlies were beating the world uh, or setting the world on fire, I was like, okay, let's calm down. They're not actually this good. Brandon, the numbers say they're this good. And the eye test says they're this good. And usually when you're top five or six in both offensive and defensive efficiency, you're an NBA Finals contender. The Grizzlies are seventh on DraftKings to be NBA Finals uh, winners. That's pretty low for a team that has the resume that Memphis does. So I feel like that whether it's the fan base, whether it's the national media, uh, my own psyche that I've had to battle throughout the season, there's this fear of this not being real, that this is going to be some sort of tumble and fall. Um, I'm standing by my opinion that even if that happened, this season is still successful for a variety of reasons. But do you think that the concerns about Grizzlies failure in this particular series are justified? I don't really think so. I'm with you where, you know, even if they do get upset, which I personally don't see happening, but if that does happen, I still consider the season a success. Um, you know, it, it creates more interesting questions for the all season, but overall, it's still been a heck of a season. I really think a lot of, I guess, the fear comes from we've never been in this place before. And after the playing game, the narrative shifts a little bit towards, oh, hey, we haven't seen the Grizzlies play, you know, really fully healthy other than one game for a while. And we just saw the Timberwolves win a very thrilling game, you know, kind of do or die style. So the narrative kind of shifts, but like Memphis has never been the two seed. They tied the franchise record for wins in a season. But, you know, for the most part throughout the grit and grind era, they were underdogs and not expected to, you know, really go far regardless. And, you know, not that there's higher expectations, but, you know, it's kind of funny the same people that were, you know, telling us, you know, the oh, this seems better, you know, when the preseason we were, we were kind of predicting, you know, oh, they're probably going to be in the play-in range again. Oh, no, they're going to be better, better. Now those same people are kind of like, oh, my gosh, okay, like, what happens, though, because we are better, like, and if we lose, like, it's the end of the world. And I think it's really just, you know, the depth of the team showed out this year, and, you know, the depth kind of shrinks in the playoffs because guys are playing heavier minutes. But I, I don't really think the fear is justified. The team's proven pretty much – after the first 19 games, that they're one of the best teams in the NBA. And especially with the matchup against the Minnesota Timberwolves, I don't see that changing in the next four to seven games. 
You're listening to GBB Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, site manager, at least for the next couple of weeks, hopefully longer, of grizzlybearblues.com. Joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming, associate editor over at GBB, and my guest, our guest, uh, our good friend, Mr. Brandon Abraham, at BC Abraham on Twitter. Mr. Hustle, who did an awesome job covering the G League Memphis Hustle this year for us at GBB. Another year of terrific work from Brandon, obviously focused on the Memphis Grizzlies and their playoff series against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, Brandon, I'm curious as to Parker and I both wrote articles for the blog on Thursday. Both of us got best of SB Nation NBA because we're, you know, the, the Triple H and Seth Rollins of this thing. We're, we're running the show, apparently. Um, just kidding, everybody. Um, but anyway, we both put out features. Parker wrote about Jaron Jackson Jr. being the X Factor, which, of course, that's a great argument. You can certainly say that. I wrote about Dylan Brooks, which I feel like earned me a penthouse suite on Dylan Brooks Island with Connor Dunning and Parker and everybody else that has land and real estate. Um, I'm curious, Brandon, if you agree with Parker, if you agree with me, if you see John Morant. I think it's kind of funny that we both kind of gloss over John Morant. John Morant struggled against the Timberwolves this season. Uh, he, uh, in terms of net rating, he was a negative in games where he played three or more games against somebody. He was a negative in two matchups, the Dallas Mavericks and the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Timberwolves defend him really well. I think that that's important to point out and give credit to Minnesota for. Um, do you think it's Jaw beating that performance, anxiety, whatever it might be? Is it somebody else? What is your key in one player specifically for the Grizzlies to get past the Timberwolves in the first round, the way that I think we all agree they should? I'm going to kind of cheat and copy off of Parker's um, answer in the roundtable, I think, was from today and not yesterday. For this series specifically against the Minnesota Timberwolves, it's got to be Dylan Brooks. Um, because, one, Dylan didn't play in any of the four games, so it's he's kind of the unknown enigma of the series. And kind of, you know, more importantly, for me at least, his presence allows for John Morant to struggle, you know, if that – is the case you know they could really kind of hide d'angelo russell on zaire williams you know whoever whoever the starting three guard was i I didn't look at the box score of every single game right before the show but whoever was filling in for dylan they could hide d'angelo russell on they're going to have no one to hide russell on in this series presuming everyone stays healthy and even if you know beverly does a good job of you know locking jaw up as much as you can it's you know dylan's you know self shot creation his aggressiveness his confidence i I think that's kind of the big swinging factor uh, of the series he's also going to be huge defensively he's not going to let d'angelo russell go off for 20 plus points in the fourth quarter um you can kind of have switch the matchups up so for me it's dylan brooks with an honorable mention really to Desmond Bain's three-point shooting. Um, I didn't look at a team-by-team basis, but Des really struggled shooting against the Timberwolves. And again, I think Dylan's you know, presence will open up more open looks for Des as much as it will open up driving lanes for Ja. Finishing up here with Brandon Abraham at BC Abraham on Twitter here on GBB Live. Brandon, Parker and I are going to talk to Kyle Teige of Canis Hoopus about this but I want to get your opinion on it. The GBB Live question of the day, 
We put out a question every time we record a podcast. The question of the day was pretty simple. It was predictions. Grizzlies in four or five games, Memphis in six and seven games, uh, or seven games, excuse me, and then vice versa for the Timberwolves. Uh, how do you see this series playing out? I'll, I'll give mine in the next segment. I know Parker will too. What do you see coming for this next couple of weeks? I struggle with seeing Minnesota doing anything in terms of winning the series unless it's in seven games. So I have the Grizzlies winning. The question is how many games they do. I guess the same thing would be to you as a Grizzlies blogger. I imagine you have Memphis winning. Memphis in what? I ultimately went with six or seven. Um, I really wanted to go with four or five, but it it just felt a little aggressive. But ultimately, I think Memphis, you know, you know, I think Chris Finch is a heck of a coach. I think Taylor Jenkins is better. I, I think the Grizzlies have the personnel to adapt throughout a series. But I also think the Timberwolves, you know, having one playoff series since 2004, the target center is going to be rocking next week um, when they play games three and four in Minnesota. So I kind of expect Minnesota to win, you know, one of the home games. And I also kind of went with six or seven in case there's a game where, you know, Anthony Edwards was on fire to start the game in the play-in tournament. D'Angelo Russell, you know, even last season had games where he kind of torched the Grizzlies. So, you know, I think there is the threat of a game where they just get hot and don't miss. So I ultimately went with six or seven, but, you know, I really kind of feel four or five, but going with six and seven feels safer, I guess. Makes sense. And we try to be unbiased over at grizzlybearblues.com. We are a Grizzlies fan blog, but uh, hopefully over these last five years or so, we've become a little bit more than that. Brandon Abraham, thank you, buddy. As always, obviously, we'll have you back on uh, here down the road as we close up shop on the Joe Mullinax era. Thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate everything you do. Absolutely. Thank you, Brandon. When we come back on GB Live, Parker and I will give our predictions and we'll have a good conversation about the Minnesota Timberwolves from the view of the enemy. Uh, Timberwolves blog, Canis Hoopus, site manager, Kyle Tige joins us. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. Parker Fleming joins me for this next part of the show. Parker, uh, our previous segment was a pretty good one, talking with you and Brandon about this series, but we got to get the Minnesota perspective, obviously. Uh, We're biased uh, as Memphis (laughs) Grizzlies bloggers, so we are going to have our conversation with the site manager for Canis Hoopus, one of my favorite blogs in the SB Nation network, and I do truly mean that. I think that Kyle... You guys do a phenomenal job, not just you, but the, the Minnesota media in general. Um, I really am impressed with how they cover the Timberwolves. I think the Grizzlies have some good coverage. I'm biased, of course. I think the Grizzlies have good coverage. I think the Mavericks have some good coverage. The Pacers have some good coverage. But you guys and uh, Ty- Kyle Teague, right? I'm just making Ty- Yeah, yeah, you're doing well. Tige. Yeah, that's good. Teague. Yep. <laughs> uh, Kyle Teague of Canis Hoopus. You guys do an awesome job. Make sure you're checking them out at Canis Hoopus on Twitter. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, A crazy week for all of us. I'm sure you've been asked to do multiple things like this. I appreciate your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Um, It has been a crazy week. It's been a crazy day. I was just going through Twitter and right now on, you know, every team has their kind of base, right? And Wolves Twitter right now, um, Bud Light is making a Patrick Beverly can. So um, there's just oh, a lot geez. going on on our end. Um, but yeah, it's been fun. It's cool to not 
be in the play-in anymore. Um, so I'm excited to talk hoops with you guys. Bud Light is doing a Patrick Beverly can. You hear that, Parker Fleming? Pat, <laughs> Pat Beverly is getting a, a beer can. That is shocking to me. Um, uh, yeah, I tell you what, I always knew I was a Miller guy. <laughs> there you go. But I, I do want to say, you know, shout out to uh, Minnesota. Also, too, shout out to um, Edina. I see Kyle has uh, Edina, Minnesota, or Minneapolis in his uh, – in his uh, location here, and that, that's where my my mom and her uh, and her sister grew up. So there you oh, go. Nice. Shout out okay, cool. nice. Yeah, it's, I was I was telling uh, Joe it's it's cold here still, even though it's mid April. So I don't know. There's no mm-hmm. not going to be spring. It's just going to go from winter right back into winter. So I live in Virginia, and it was 83 degrees. Oh, today. so not to rub awesome. it in, but it was <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty nice. Um, let's start off with Patrick Beverly because I feel like the legend of Patrick Beverly has grown considerably this year. At least that's, that's that way it feels because if we rewind to this past summer when the trade occurred and we don't have to debate the trade because I think we'll just agree to disagree on how the trade eventually went down. I think obviously it worked out for Minnesota. That's not the point that I would belabor. And Patrick Beverly before he went to Minnesota was traded to the Grizzlies for Eric Bledsoe, who if you follow the NBA has completely fallen off a cliff is not really seen as a good basketball player anymore. So Patrick Beverly, in my opinion, was a negative asset at that time for him to take himself, embrace Minnesota for the players already there to embrace him. I think obviously that matters just as much because Pat Bev, I think you'd agree, Kyle, it's kind of a acquired taste. He's definitely one of those guys that you would love on your own team and hate if you were the opposing team. Memphis has one of those in Dylan Brooks, who I'm sure we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, I think that your perspective on Patrick Beverly is fascinating because when I look at the Timberwolves, like doing our series preview for GBB, looking at the numbers, I would say at best, Beverly is your fourth best guard. He might be your fifth best guard. Just in terms of the numbers, I haven't watched as much as you have. That is my outside perspective of Patrick Beverly. I'm not taking into account his impact on the Wolves culture, which I'm sure has been pretty pronounced. Yeah, I mean, I think anytime the Wolves play the Grizzlies in a meaningful moment like this, um, it starts with the trade. But I also think everything you just said is so spot on. Like, I think you can say the Timberwolves won that trade, but it's not like the Grizzlies lost it. You just... I try to make analogies when I cover this team and it's just like, you guys were rich. Like you guys just had a bunch of money. You didn't care that you got rid of 20 bucks, right? Like the Timberwolves had $4. So if they could get a $20 bill, they're like, hell yeah, we need money. So you guys have been fine. You have a ton of guards. I mean, like, I think, I think knowing your team enough, I mean, I watch 82 Timberwolves games. I probably watch 81 Grizzlies games just because that was like my next just team to watch. I love what they do. Um, he felt like, and I don't want to speak out of turn because you guys get it, but he just seemed like he would have been a good because that's what he does, that mentality. He's had to grind his whole life. But again, you guys have been fine. Um, on our side, we didn't have a culture. Like, I know everyone on your team now is young. You have a really young team, same with us, but I don't think I'm wrong. I don't think there's anyone from, like, the old school grit and grind days, right? I mean, the, the Zach Randolph you know, Gasol, Conley, like all those guys are gone, but you had that culture that just shifted into the next generation. And I'm, that's just, we don't have that. We didn't, I mean, I guess we had one year with 
Jimmy Butler and Tibbs, but we had no culture. We had no culture since 2004 when Kevin Garnett left. So um, he did. Like, I, I don't know where he is on the guard ranks. I mean, we have obviously Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell. He's up there. And then Malik Beasley. But uh, he just has made them be adults. Um, I think you have adults on your team. Um, like, I don't know, I just think of like Kyle Anderson or some of these other guys you have. The Wolves didn't have a lot of adults. Patrick Beverly was the only guy on the team over 30. Um, and he's just brought a lot of mentality of like, this is your job. This isn't just basketball. You're not just making millions. Yes, that's all facts. But this is your job and you gotta take, you got to take it seriously. I mean, I haven't looked up the stats, but I've seen guys on the floor more this year ever than ever before. So he has changed the culture. He is an acquired taste. I mean, I would get his tattoo, but I also would have said last year I hated him. Like top five, if he's not on your team, you hate him. And if he's on your team, you love him. And Dylan Brooks is a good comp, right? I think if you were playing Dylan Brooks in a playoff series, you guys wouldn't love him. But he's on your team, and you absolutely believe in that guy. So uh, he's changed a lot for them. He's really mentored. It was Ricky Rubio last year who was like the little angel in the cartoon on your shoulder. And then Patrick Beverly is like the little devil on your shoulder. Um, and he's been great for Anthony Edwards. And I honestly think that's what probably matters the most because Ant needed someone to, you know, unleash the dog in him a little bit. And he's definitely done that. Uh, yeah. I, I've been very impressed watching him defend John Morant, which I know we'll talk more about here in a moment. Um, I, when I say that I think he's your fourth or fifth best guard, I don't mean it as an insult. Like I would no, prefer right. Malik Beasley. Yeah. Uh, I think he brings more to the offense. He's not as good of a defender as Beverly, but I think that he's good enough that his offensive talent negates the the struggles that Beverly has in that area. But you need someone to help cultivate that culture. There's no denying that, and I think Pat Bev has done that for Minnesota. Uh, one of the things that I'm going to talk about in my series preview for the blog is the idea of, if you look at the usage of Patrick Beverly, if you look at the usage of a Jared Vanderbilt, you know, there's a lot of guys that don't necessarily take a lot of shots for Minnesota. And I wonder, is it something – Finch seems like a coach to me that is willing to make changes. He's willing to be adaptable, and I mean that as a compliment. I think he's a good basketball coach. Beverly has clearly been important to what Minnesota has done. Do you think that they will be willing to bench Beverly – if it comes to it because they need more offensive fire. I I think Chris Finch, again, we're it's really I don't want to compare the teams because you guys are on another level. Um, but I I think uh there's so many similarities in the way that the coaches relate to the players. I think Chris Finch has the respect of all those guys. I mean, like you could ask those guys what they had for lunch and they're gonna bring up Chris Finch, like just un you know, unprovoked. So I think that tells you that. I think Pat Bev's probably going to play more than you might think, but if there's a situation where they need scoring and it just has to be their, you know, their the guys that can put in the basket the most, I don't think there'd be any problem. I think Finch and Bev have that relationship. They do have a history going back years, um, back in the Houston days. So I, I think if it came down to like, listen, we got to play Malik and Ant and uh, I don't know, like Jalen Noel and Carl, just five guys that can absolutely shoot it and maybe put Bev on the bench. I think he'd be okay with that. And that's been part of the culture thing. I mean, he's been talking to the young guys of like, you might DNP for a week, but if Finch calls on you on Saturday, like you got to be ready to go in and produce. So I, I think it'll be okay. I do still think 
depth has always been weird for us. I mean, we don't have as much depth. I mean, you guys have a 15-man roster with 18 guys that can play. We don't have that. Um, so I think Pat will still get, you know, 35 minutes a game. But, um, yeah, I, I think if, if Finch says jump, I think Pat Bev says how high. So, And, and that's a really good analogy. And he's just kind of like, you know, the coach on the floor. Like you yeah. always said, like the grown-up in the room, yep. stuff like that. I will say one thing that just really intrigues me in, in this series, and I talked to uh, Mike O'Hagan about it on, on my podcast, is just – uh, the, there's a lot of similarities with this team. I think this play-in run from the Minnesota is similar to the, the Memphis one last year. And I'm all in on Anthony Edwards. I think he's going to be awesome, and he already is awesome. But, I mean, also, too, the fact that on the broadcast, they said he's the fastest player to hit 300 threes. Like, that's yeah. a very, like, that. that's something I was like, wait, what? Like, I thought it was going to be someone like Duncan Robinson or even like Desmond right. Bain. But, yeah. any like... And he's one of the most prolific scorers. But like, do you think, like, similar to John Morant last season, do you think that this postseason, regardless of what happens with Minnesota, whether they upset Memphis or they're out in five, that this could be the offseason that really sets Anthony Edwards up for like this like massive all NBA leap similar to John Morant? Yeah. And again, like it's selfish for me to comp my team to your team because you've reached the next rung on the ladder, right? Like John Hollinger was out here, who I know you're familiar with, and he yeah. covered the the Wolves game, and he wrote a really good piece for the Athletic, basically comparing downtown Minneapolis. People don't walk on the sidewalks; it's so cold, they walk in these skyways. And he talked about how it's really easy to be at like, it's really easy to go from 35 wins to 45 wins. We did it. It's hard to go from 45 wins to 55 wins, like you did. So I don't want to get lazy with comps, but again, like John Morant, second year takes his team to the playoffs. I know you guys didn't. You know, it wasn't a great series against the Jazz, but you got a lot of data and you learned a lot of stuff. And now you guys just skyrocketed. That's what we want. Ant led his team. I mean, he was the best player in that play-in game for the Wolves. Um, led his team to the play-in or the playoffs. We'll see what happens this series. And then you hope in his, after his second summer, he has that third-year leap like uh, Morant has. I mean, Jaws, the, I love my Wolves and I know you love your Grizzlies, but I think it's pretty common sense that John Morant's the best player in this in this series, if you're drafting guys, he goes one um, and it's not there yet. So he still has work to do to reach Jaws potential. I mean, his two way stuff, his defense has been not things we heard about in the 2020 draft. So that's been incredible, but um, he still has a ways to go offensively. But yeah, I think this summer learning about what playoff basketball is all about over these next week or so, God forbid, maybe longer um, is going to give him the same ingredients that Jaw got last year against the jazz. And I, the hope is that he is, you know, him and Ja are fighting for what second team All NBA next year, maybe first team. So that's the hope. That's like the model that we try to look at is what you guys have watched over the last three years. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I really, I, I think Cat actually said something in y'all's media availability today, where like this series could be a really good shining example for just these two, like two small market teams with they're a lot of fun to watch. They play a fun style of basketball, but they also play with a lot of swagger, a lot of audacious uh, audacity. And I think that really starts with John Morant, Anthony Edwards, just two uh, charismatic guys. But, you know, uh, you had brought up like the depth aspect. And I, I really think, you know, that's something the Grizzlies have an edge in. And that could also play a role in like rotation decisions. Like, do you say that with Minnesota's not as strong depth, do you think Finch is going to immediately come out the gate and 
crunch his rotation a little bit, or do you see him kind of doing what he did in the play in and roll with like nine or ten guys? So in the play in, obviously, like a big guy for us was Torian Prince, and he just had this random knee injury that popped up, so he was just couldn't play. If he's healthy, he's going to play a lot too, um, just because he's a kind of a three and D guy that they can throw. I mean, he's not going to shut down John Morant, but maybe he can give you eight to ten possessions on him. Um, it's it's not so much that we don't have depth. I think the roster's good. Uh, it's just it hasn't been as consistent as like what you guys have done. Like you guys could just not have Jaw for twelve games and it doesn't skip a beat. So I I think Finch will be again going back to like could he bench Bev? I doubt it, but if he had to, he would. I think he could play Jordan McLaughlin one game thirty minutes, and he's like our third string point guard. So uh, I think he'll probably tighten it up a little bit and just play as many of his wing guys as possible. Um. This is kind of in the weeds, but like a Jalen Noel, we love him. He's kind of a bucket, but he also small, can't really guard. So those guys might just not play a lot. And I think the hope is, is that Carl can play a lot more minutes than he did against the Clippers. Um, otherwise, this series is probably done in three. So I th- that would be the hope is that Cat can stay out there for 40-ish minutes. And then you just have Ant out there for 40-ish minutes. I mean, the schedule breaks down too with these two games or two days off that you'll probably see just eight, nine-man rotations for his long as Finch can do it. Listen to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Joe Molinax, joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming, our great guest in this part of the show, Kyle Tige. He does an awesome job as the site manager of Canis Hoopus, the SB Nation site for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Make sure you are following them, checking them out. Uh, lots of great content coming from them in the days and couple of weeks ahead with a wink and a nod. Um, I think that your comparison of the Timberwolves to what what Memphis was last year and the last couple of years, I see that a lot. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. And I mean that as a compliment. Like I see Minnesota being grown the right way. You know, the, the Angelo Russell trade maybe being the exception to the two rosters, but obviously Carl Anthony Towns drafted by Minnesota, uh, Anthony Edwards drafted by Minnesota. You've got a lot of guys that are kind of homegrown, the Grizzlies are the same. Uh, Steven Adams isn't quite as good as D'Angelo Russell, obviously, in terms of scoring, especially. Uh, but you look at the star players, right? Memphis is probably Jaw, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain. For Minnesota, it's Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell. For us, for the Grizzlies, I think that Dylan Brooks is the key guy that isn't one of those stars. I wrote about him for the site today. Um, Brooks did not play against Minnesota at all in this past, uh, the split of the two of the four games. It was a two, two split. Brooks did not play a single minute in any of those games. And I think that he's going to do a lot of things that help Memphis win the series eventually. So Dylan Brooks is my key guy that isn't a star for the Grizzlies. Who is your key guy that isn't a star for the Minnesota Timberwolves in this series? Well, he's not, he's not a star. First off, and he's not a star, definitely in your guys' views, but like for us, it's probably Jaden McDaniels. Um, he's just a second year guy. It was either him or Vando. Jared Vanderbilt were my answers. But, you know, J- the difference between Jaden and, and Vando is that Jaden can s- spread the floor. I mean, he can shoot the three, he's really good in the corner. Um, and again, it's just, I don't really think it's a not, I don't think the Timberwolves necessarily have a guy that can slow down John Morant because you don't, I think Patrick Beverly will give him hell. And some other guys will too, but you don't slow down John Morant, right? Just like you don't slow down Steph Curry. You don't slow down the elite of the elite. Um, but they'll throw Jaden on him a little bit. He gave Paul Gell or Paul George hell 
um, just with his length. So I think that'll be the guy, you know, Jaden doesn't always rebound the best because he is made out of, I mean, he probably weighs a hundred pounds. He's really tall. He's the tallest player on the team, I think. Um, but he just doesn't have a lot of weight, but, uh, yeah, it'll be Jaden first, but Vando second because, you know, you guys rebound the ball. They're talking about this. I was at uh, practice today, and they're focused on how well you rebound the ball. Um, and Vando is this team's best rebounder. He just can't really do much offensively. So I think I think from a Grizzlies perspective, if you're a Grizzlies fan, you'll hear Jaden McDaniel's name a lot. Um, and the hope is that he can just give them a lot on both ends and, and give them another option so that if it's not falling for Cat, or it's not falling for D'Lo, that Jaden can, you know, give you 9 to 12 points and kind of just keep him honest. Vanderbilt is a lot of fun to watch. I really like his game. He would have fit in quite nicely on those old grit-and-grind Grizzlies teams uh, in terms of the effort that he plays with, the tenacity on the boards, like you mentioned. Um, He's definitely Minnesota's best rebounder. But the rebounding matchup... Slapping out to Vando. Yeah. I I think that the rebounding matchup clearly benefits Memphis. But if... That's one of the interesting early chess piece moves these first couple of games. What do you do? If you play Vanderbilt, you alluded to it yourself, he's not really an offensive weapon in any way, shape, or form. But you negate some of Memphis's strength as a rebounding team because Vanderbilt can hang with Adams. He can hang with the other front court players, and he can negate some of the wing rebounding that Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton bring. Um, if you go with McDaniels, you have more of an offensive weapon but you essentially give up the boards. Like Memphis will just grab every rebound possible uh, because Carl Anthony Towns, obviously, he can rebound. I'm not saying he's not able to, but especially since he plays on the perimeter so much, uh, that's not going to be as much of a focus for him, at least offensively on the offensive glass. We're finishing up here with Kyle Teige. I can't stress enough. Canis Hoopas is fantastic. I've liked them even before this series. I mean that. Uh, make sure that you're checking out Kyle at Kyle, T-H-E-I-G-E, on Twitter. Give him a follow there. Uh, he's there in Minnesota as we record this show. I know he's heading back to uh, the West Coast uh, where he's stationed out of, but it's it's really cool he's had a chance to be there at practice. And I believe you said you were at the play-in game against the Clippers. Impressive performance. They were down in that game, obviously. They came roaring back there in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves are a tough team. but the Minnesota Timberwolves are an inexperienced team. I get a kick, Kyle, out of people, part of the logic in the argument that folks try to make for Memphis potentially being upset in this series. I think there's a lane for that to happen, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But the lane is not Memphis is inexperienced. The Grizzlies have been in the play in the last two years. The Grizzlies won the play in last year. They're the only team in the play in so far. Obviously, the last games haven't happened yet but they're the only nine seed to actually get in. I think I saw that the play-in game is nine and one, where the higher seed so far has actually won the game. And the one win was the Grizzlies as the nine. So I don't believe the Memphis doesn't have experience angle floats. Minnesota, on the other hand, certainly does not have experience, aside from Beverly, of course. Uh, But, you know, the Timberwolves playoff history is not distinguished, as you already know. Um, that doesn't mean anything in this particular year. We're talking that experience angle. Uh, every time we record an episode of GBB Live, I do a question of the day. And this week's question of the day was pretty basic. It was predictions. Asking, uh, admittedly, a Grizzlies <laughs> fan base that is going to be biased. 
what is the series going to look like? Are the Grizzlies going to win in four or five games, six or seven games? Are the Timberwolves going to win in four or five games? Are the Timberwolves going to win in six and seven games? Unsurprisingly, Grizzlies in four or five games won the uh, the poll. And thanks to the 170-plus <laughs> folks that voted, um, Grizzlies in four or five games won the poll. I am giving my official prediction now that the Grizzlies are going to win in five games. I think that we need to trust our eyes. You said you've watched 81 games and you've been very respectful in this podcast episode. <laughs> um, the Grizzlies are top five or top six in both offensive and defensive rating. The Grizzlies have set all sorts of offensive franchise records. The Grizzlies beat teams 13 times this year by 25 or more points. If I said all those numbers and statistics about the Golden State Warriors, everybody in the national media would have them in the NBA Finals. Like That's just the reality. It's the Memphis Grizzlies. They're young. I understand why folks don't have them there. I struggle with seeing a way that Minnesota wins this series in any way other than seven. I could see the Timberwolves pushing it to seven, getting us to a game seven in Memphis, and that is where my Memphis blogger bias comes in. And even though my eyes have seen the Grizzlies in the past lose a game seven in Memphis, I can never make that pick. So I think that while Memphis in six wouldn't surprise me, I think any outcome other than Minnesota winning in seven for the Timberwolves would be a shock. Like if the Timberwolves won in six or five or four somehow, that would be, I don't want to say a disaster. It would be really bad. Like that would be a failure if the Grizzlies crumbled in that manner. That's my prediction. Uh, I see Grizzlies in five. The Timberwolves would have to do it in seven, in my opinion, if they're going to win the series. What say you? I have a feeling I know who you're going to pick. I'm just curious as to your logic. Well, you almost talked me out of my pick. So again, like unless we have food on the line here, which I don't, we never agreed to, I'm going to go with no, my heart and then my brain. Um, I, and this is like, my pick is going to offend some, but I have to go with my team. But I also am like being courteous and actually respectful of if it did go seven, I'm, I'm just telling you like, I don't see them winning because again, I did see a lot of Grizzlies games and I just think that, that place would have no roof on the arena. Like, I just don't see them going into Memphis in a game seven. So I've liked what I've seen. Again, I if I had to bet it legally, I would probably lean towards you. But I'm going to say Timberwolves in six just because I, again, if to me it's like if they win it, they have to win that final game at home. Um, and it just comes down to, again, like, do I think it's the most likely? Absolutely not. But, you know, you had a week off and the Wolves, like, maybe they steal. A, the way it would happen is they steal one of the first two games in Memphis. They win both games at home. And then they lose game five by a million. And then they come win it in six. So I'm going to say Timberwolves in six. But everything you said is valid. Um, and my, I'm not to rant, but it's just, I just think this is an awesome series. Like, I, I want the Timberwolves to win. You guys definitely want the Grizzlies to win. But um, I just think the two small market things, the fan bases, the, you know, Grizzlies Twitter, Timberwolves Twitter. Um, we might not be as cordial a week from now, but I just think this is like, this is the best series. Cause I think these are the two of the like three best fan bases in the NBA right now for just like what we've been through the respect we don't get. I mean, like I said, everything you said about the Grizzlies and those stats, not having a name on them and everyone being like, well, that team is going to win the finals. We're not going to win the finals, but we feel that way too. Like, I don't know, man, we had the best offense in the league. Like, it's not like we're bums. Um, so I think we can score. 
But I'll say Wolves in six, but I, I, I totally understand that Grizzlies in five is probably the betting favorite. I don't think you sweep. And I'll throw it to you guys. Like A sweep seems illogical just because I think there's too much talent on both sides. And I think that it's logical. You have to acknowledge the youth of the Grizzlies in some way. If they win both games at home, they go into game three in Minnesota feeling themselves a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I saw the energy of the game against the Clippers. <laughs> I think the Minnesota fans are good to get that team over the hump for at least one game. So I would, I would be more surprised by Grizzlies in four than Minnesota in seven, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I don't see sense. the Grizzlies sweeping outright the Timberwolves, but maybe they could. Uh, Parker, what about you? What's your prediction? Um, I, I get torn between Grizz and five and Grizz and six. Um, I will say with Grizz and five, it kind of was just kind of like, I thought everybody was kind of sipping on playing juice a little bit when they're like, Oh, the Timberwolves are like, they can win the series. He had Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal. And also too now on the atmosphere. Like, yeah. yeah. And for the record, Kyle, I think that your guys' celebration was awesome. Like, if you actually research the history of the Timberwolves, you did win something, and I don't mean that as a knock because people make fun of the Grizzlies for wanting to retire Tony Allen's number. Like, if you paid attention to the Memphis Grizzlies, that makes all the sense in the world to retire Tony Allen's number. It, yeah. it shows that people don't know the history of the Timberwolves, and like I said, I mean that as a compliment. Go on and celebrate. I thought that was awesome. Well, listen, youth brought that up, so I have to jump in on that quick. Like, Joe told me before, Joe, I know you have kids. Um, imagine, and we just talked about how young the Timberwolves are, so imagine taking your kids to Disney World and they lost their minds and some old person being like, hey, act like you've been here before. Well, it's like, dude, no one on this team really has been there before. What are you talking about? So um, that was, by the way, the Shaq Charles thing, like them picking the Wolves was actually like low-key really scary for us because those guys, I don't really think know much of anything. So that was a win <laughs> for you. But uh, no, I just, I thought that whole dynamic and thing was just embarrassing again. We're looking up at you. We want to be, you know, the next to you. But our histories are not the same. You guys have had a lot of success. We haven't. And I just think um, to tell fans how to cheer is something I'm never down for. Um, I don't spend as much time on basketball reference. I'm more of like a fanalytics guy. I come, I speak for the fan. I, I'm a blogger. Um, and telling people that they cheered too loud was really messed up. So I appreciate you saying that because – be act like you've been there before. A lot of us haven't been here before, so it's kind of weird. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Parker. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, my bad. Uh, it, it's all good. Uh, you know, I could very much see a uh, a Grizz in five situation. Uh, I mean, as Joe alluded to, it, the Grizzlies have the makeup of a contender. You know, that you add in the top five defense and offense. They also too have an NBA or not an all NBA guy who was a MVP candidate if he didn't miss 30 games this year. And then you also have the, a defensive player of the year candidate as well, and Jaron Jackson, a guy that should be in the coach of the year conversation, Taylor Jenkins. If you slap that resume on the Golden State Warriors, Denver Nuggets, hell, even the Dallas Mavericks, people are already saying, oh, they're going to the finals. So, like, I they're a contender. So that's a five-game – that's five games right there. But also, too, this Timberwolves team is talented. Um they they have a lot of guys that can go off and kind of carry them for a night. Um, I could very much see a situation where it goes in, you know, we get a two two situation, Grizzlies take care of game five, and then Grizzlies just take care of business game six. But I'm very interested. I the the dialogue I there's been a lot of weird 
just overblown on kind of just like, oh, like, are we sure the Grizzlies are like proven enough to do it? I'm like, they're playing Minnesota, who has about not as much playoff experience either. So, yeah, I'll say Grizz and six. I'll be respectful to say Grizz and six. I, I also think, too, because you both brought up this like resume thing. I don't know how much you're into like March Madness, but you both just made me think of like when it's like the, fi- the last four teams in and they do that like mm-hmm. blind resume where they just take the teams off and they just put what their right records are against the top 25 on stuff. That's like a great case of this. Like you take Memphis and Minnesota's names off the top of their resumes. I think both teams would have a lot more respect, even though they don't, neither of them have a ton of experience, right? Like you guys are right on yours. But I mean, I think statistically, I think John Morant, Kevin or uh, Carl Anthony Towns and DeAndre Russell all have played f- like five playoff games, right? So, but I just think you guys have been in bigger moments and have done it longer. And again, too, it's a difference between winning 45 ish games like we did and you guys winning a whole 10 or 11 or 12 more games. So, I'm with you on the disrespect you get because if you just change the area code to what your resume is, you'd probably be a third favorite to win the whole thing. And I don't think you are. And I think that kind of sucks. Or if you put it in an L.A. area code, everybody oh, would want yeah. to talk about yeah. you, even if you're not in the playoffs. Um, but I digress. I know you can. I know we can end on a sympathetic, shared <laughs> frustration. Yeah, Kyle. Again, thank you so much for joining us, folks. Canis Hoopus at Canis Hoopus on Twitter. They are amazing. Can't recommend their work enough. Kyle Tige, uh at Kyle T H E I G E. Appreciate your time, buddy. Have a great series. I'm sure we'll be talking and interacting on Twitter and elsewhere. Uh, throughout the next week or so. Appreciate you guys. Good luck. All right. Listen to GVB Live on Google, on Stitcher, on Spotify, iHeart, Apple, however you get your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribing to the GVB Podcast Network. Thank you so much to Parker. Thank you to Brandon Abraham in our first segment. Thank you to Kyle in this segment. And on a personal note, thanks to everybody that's been so kind this week uh, with the, the announcement of me stepping down at GBB. Um, I'll be honest. I thought that was going to go a lot worse. Like I mentioned in the first segment, um, I thought I was going to get a lot more hate, but, um, it was really kind of humbling and overwhelming. I texted that to Parker and Brandon that I was kind of overwhelmed with all the kindness. So thank you guys for that. I'm excited for this last ride and, you know, in a roundabout way, even if you don't like me as a blogger, if you cheer for the Grizzlies, you're cheering for me to stay on a site manager. Cause as long as they're here, I'm here, baby. So Uh, Let's have a good last ride together. Again, for Brandon, for Parker, for Kyle, I'm Joe Molinax. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.